This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Deborah Griggs, who is a model amongst other things, but she's also an author of Son of a Basque. Deborah, thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you. Good morning. So well, whatever time, well, whatever time it is when this oh, I know. airs. <laughs> oh, time zones can be crazy. The exactly. amount of times that I've had to do things where I come on and I go wherever you are in the world, afternoon, morning, exactly. everything's different. Everything changes exactly. all the time. So wherever you are. And it's even worse when the clocks now, change. Good morning. When the clocks change, it's even worse again. Because it's like, great, I've got to move everything around because someone decided to change the clocks. And uh, nothing's changed since. It can be your pain sometimes. So I've actually heard that you used to be very committed to... Uh, ice skating and there's a lot of things that have stemmed from that like challenging yourself pushing yourself being committed is that something that you take with you today and tell the listeners a bit about what your journey with ice skating was like absolutely I would say that I got most of my life lessons from ice skating and the discipline and the structure and the commitment of the sport um, those tools, they go, they went with me. And I you say a lot of the time that I think that that time in my life, the ice skating and the getting up at four in the morning and all of that discipline that saved my life in a lot of ways, because in those dark times in my adult years, I could draw from those tools and remember, you know, you, I have my coaches in my head for life, so to speak, you know, and one of the things that I remember distinctly from that time is my very first competition and it was a complete disaster. And I fell every jump I attempted. I fell, I was riddled with anxiety. I came off the ice hysterically crying. And I remember my coach grabbed me and just took me in the ladies room and like was yelling at me, stop crying, stop crying. And, and she's like, get back out there, you know, and when you fall down, you get back up. And I just remember being like, I could never skate again after that performance. Yeah. And she was like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? That this is just the start. And that was like, what? Oh my God. I thought my life was over. I thought my whole skating career was over. And then she was going to be like, you are horrible. I don't want to coach you anymore. But it was completely the opposite. And I had learned that through that failure, that's where the growth really began. And, and I knew in my mind that I never wanted that to happen again. And so then you put in more work and you put in more time to prevent those things. You know, it's they're inevitable. The, the failures are inevitable. But you definitely start putting in more work to avoid those things. And yeah, definitely those tools have stayed with me throughout life. You know, I think I draw upon those tools frequently more so than I would, you know, I think that I think about that time quite a bit, you know, when I'm struggling with something, it's like, what would you do if you were up at 5am and on the ice, you know, those tools, they stay with you. And anybody who's, who's done any type of sport, I think, the, the voice of the coach is always right there, you know? 
Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think as well, it's so hard in the moment for everybody involved. Like, it's almost shattering for you. The coach has to try and be the anchor and the rock that you can lean on, even though they're probably feeling some of your pain to a certain degree. But the value of it tends to be afterwards. It's rare that you sit there feeling like your life's all crashing down and go, I'm sure there's a lesson in this. It very rarely happens that way. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of lessons. And I I was actually speaking this morning, I was up early and I was speaking on a different platform and we were talking about the fear of success. And I love that topic because I think a lot of times we actually do really sabotage. We can get to that point where it's like, oh my God, is this really happening? Am I really going to win? You know, and then we sabotage it. And we see that in competition frequently, you know, people that complete, you know, they have the talent, you know, they're the best at what they do, but they completely choke or sabotage. And so I was saying on this panel this morning, when, when it came to me, I said, yeah, I said, this is where the benefit of having a really good team around you, making sure you have the right team of mentors, coaches, and people that see it more clearly for you than you can see it for yourself. Because as the person doing it, you know, we need that. We need, we need the cheerleaders around us a lot of the time. And so it's having the right ones, having the right cheerleaders, the ones that can really see it, see the dream, you know, yeah, bigger yeah. and better than I could ever see it. It's almost like the, the comfort level, the pre-sabotage feeling tends to be different from person to person, doesn't it? Where would you say yours came from? You know, your limit where the fear of success started to come in where do you think that level actually came from if you could picture it as like a bubble that's comfort that's safe where do you think that came from the level of comfort or the level of well the the amount of success that you were happy with before you started to subconsciously or consciously stop yourself from doing more god i don't know you know i think it's i think when you start to unconsciously kind of limit yourself, you know, put that kind of like, oh, we're going, we're going into this uncomfortable place. I think when that happens, that's usually, that's usually where the growth is. And it's interesting because I, in business, when you get to those places where it takes you out of your comfort zone, it's, that's usually where the growth is going to take place. But most people will stay right here where it's comfortable and not really move into the uncomfortable place. And I know I've been in that place several times, you know, and, and I was just in it a few days ago with, with a project I'm working on. It got really uncomfortable. I got really uncomfortable in what I was doing. And I thought, oh, my God, here it is again. This is where like this is where the growth is going to happen. Yeah. And so just stay in there. Like, don't, don't run. Don't try to change it. Stay out of it, really, because this is where the good stuff is. And that's, I think that's where people usually pull back or say, you know what, I don't want to do this. And they move on. I see it a lot with salespeople. I used to speak a lot for sales people, like go to events and speak to sales groups because I was really successful in sales 
I was like in the top 1% of the business I was in. And so I'd go in and speak and I would tell people all the time, look around the room, look to your left, look to your right, because only two of you out of this room are going to stay with it and progress and get successful in this, whatever it is we're selling in this room. And people were like, what? And I was like, it's true. People drop out. Because the minute they get uncomfortable, they go, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? And that's where the, that's where the juice is. That's where the, that's where the growth is. And if you can stay in it, you know, and not, not, um, you know, I think there's something unconscious that happens too. you know, our bodies want to resist and the resistance and that uncomfortableness is where everything is. So I kind of, now I'm fascinated by it. Like I said, it just happened to me a couple of days ago. I was in a situation where I, I was making some, you know, I'm having growth now in the business I'm in. Like there's things that are happening and they're kind of happening quick. And I was like, whoa, you know, and I'm going <laughs> to pull back. Let's just stay right here. And even my brain will tell me, you know, maybe you should just, and that's when I know, because I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. I'm already talking myself into just staying right here because mm -hmm. this is where it's comfortable and this is what I know. And so the beautiful thing is, is to just keep going into, into the unknown. And so, yeah, I don't know if that was too deep or. No, so I mean, I, I, I'm talking about. But it's true. I, I think the unknown is where the real juice is. It's where the real, the real stuff is. The stuff that you that you that you look back on and you go, God, I got through that. You know. <laughs> yeah, actually, makes me wonder if just being consistent is enough. What do you think? Do you think you've actually got to push yourself, stretch yourself, or is it just a case of I've got to well, think long term with this? Consistency is a lot. It's really a lot. I know just from the group that I'm in, you know, the people that I talk to on a regular basis, we all have pretty much the same philosophy when it comes to consistency and routine. And, and it's amazing that our, our routines are very similar, you know, and if there's something about success minded people and, and and consistency and routines that are very similar. I know we all get up really early. That seems to be like, I was up at 4 a.m. today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've already sp spoke twice on two different platforms. And I think we have kind of similar, like, you know, we start our day with kind of these things that propel you into how your day is gonna go. I say this quite often that unless I get up and do my morning routine and have that consistency and set the intention for the day, know what's coming up, know what the day is going to be. If I don't do those consistent things, then my day can go however it wants. And then when things come at me that are unexpected, I'm not prepared for them. Now, when things come at me that are kind of out of the blue or unexpected, I, I can be okay with that. I can, because I'm prepared and I did the things in the morning 
right when I woke up that prepared me for my day. And by the way, what happens today is a big clue on how tomorrow's gonna be. And not that I like to think out of the moment so much, I like to stay here, but what I do today affects how tomorrow and then affects the week and affects the month. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's like everything I do today. So when I'm making decisions, it becomes really clear to me that if, I, if I'm making a decision based on how I want my day tomorrow to go or how I want my week to go, it makes that decision easier, makes it easier to make a decision, right? Yeah, it makes because, sense. Yeah. Because I don't want, you know, I'm pretty clear on how I want things to go. So if it doesn't align with my vision and how I see things, then I know it's probably the wrong decision. It makes it easier. But if I don't know, and I'm just kind of waking up and doing this and it changes minute, it's kind of like this. And it's like, I don't know what cycle I'm on. Then that's where people get in trouble. And I've done that too. So I know, I know what works and I know what doesn't work. And that's why you have coaches and mentors to kind of, they can say, you know, I can just tell you from experience that doesn't work. And that's why you keep falling into the same trap or the same pattern or the same upset because you're not doing these things. And, and by the way, they, it requires work. It requires consistency and dedication you know, and that's, those are the things that most people don't want to do. And that's why I said, look around the room because only two of you are going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost like if you, you gonna... if you leave it to randomness, then it's going to be random, isn't it? Completely. And you're not going to be ready for things that get thrown at you. Those things, you know, that happen in life that we have no control over, they're going to happen regardless of what we do, we can't control everything, but we can definitely be prepared and have a really good intention about how we want things to go. And like I said, it just makes it easier now when I get calls or I get asked to do certain things, if it doesn't align with what I set my intention for, it makes it really easy for me to say yes or no. It's clear, it's more clear. There's more clarity around what I'm doing. What kind of, so it's really what, what, what kind of things do you do just, then? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, Deborah. I was going to try and figure out what kind of things you do in the morning. How do you set up your day? Well, you'd be, you'd be probably surprised to know that I keep it very simple. And the minute I wake up, it's all about gratitude. Like the minute I wake up. Because I want to start my day off positive. So I have to do the three things I'm grateful for immediately. I thank God. I believe in God. So I thank God that I woke up. Thank you for another day. And then I think of the three things that I'm really grateful for and I feel it. I don't just say it. I feel it. Like I get it. I like feel it in my whole body, what I'm grateful for. I then drink, get my water with lemon. I take my supplements. I do a whole, you know, routine of stretching and yoga. And then I like to do morning pages. So I like to write. I like, I have little, my books 
these little books that I read out of, you know, I do that. And then after that, I come into my office, I come into the, the, because then my brain knows, oh, we're, we're, we're in work mode now. And so then I come in here and then I, 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 I used to get right into email and right into everything. And, and I, I call myself a chugger. I was a chugger, you know, like just <laughs> yeah, yeah. going to the next thing, you know, and, and now I don't do that. I, I kind of ease in, I look at things. I don't respond right away. I sit with it. I look at it again with a different pair of, you know, cause after I have a cup of coffee, things look different and I take my time now. I'm a little bit more methodical. Today was a little different because I had um, I had a speaking thing, so I spoke virtually on the East Coast. So I had to get up at 4 a.m. So sometimes my routine is different, but then after that, I go right back to what I normally do, and I do that every single day. It's not it's not like I do that because because it because something didn't go right so oh i better do this no i do that every single day to avoid that to avoid things not going right you know as much as i can cuz like i said i if I, I don't want my day to just be random and go however it wants to go i really want to set an intention and then at the end of the day is just as important to me as the beginning so at the end of the day i can when I put my head on the pillow and I'm usually really tired, every once in a while, I'll try to watch something on Netflix or, you know, it doesn't last. I'm out, <laughs> but I'll go through, I'll go through my list. You know, did I, did I, did I get through everything I set out to do today? What did I leave out? You know? And then I go, okay, that's okay. I'll put that. That'll be for tomorrow. So we're not going to, you know, that's just the reality. We're not going to get to everything and we're not going to, you know, we're going to make mistakes and, you know, it's, that's just life. So I like to look at it at the end of the day and see what, where I can shift. And I'm also a big believer in looking at things in sections, like, my physical life, my spiritual life, my family life, my relationship life, my business life, you know, I like to look at like a pie, you know, and so which part of that pie needs a little more attention so that I can make sure I'm creating balance in my life. And it's not all lopsided on business or spiritual life or, you know what I mean? Like, I really want yeah. to create balance. And I think, I think that's really important. And for that, that's where writing things down becomes really powerful, because it becomes really clear when I look at what I write down, especially in the morning, I go, Oh, you know what, I haven't really been doing the physical stuff that I like to do. I've been leaning more towards this or work or, you know, or creating my business where I haven't been outside and I haven't been walking. And so that's the balance. And people keep that in their head. I like to put it on paper or on a whiteboard or on a vision board or whatever you want to call it, but somewhere where you can see it. 
And when you're writing it, it gets it out. So it's not all here. It's definitely easier if you've got a lot to think about. If you've got so much to think about, I, I can't, I can't I keep have, everything in my head. No, I, I literally have these everywhere. <laughs> and it's all, yeah. like, literally, nope, this one's almost full. I have another one over here. <laughs> so when I say I write everything down, and then I have this journal for something else, <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like I when I say I write everything down, people say, well, what's the number one thing you tell people or you suggest? I say, write everything down. Wow. Why would you want lots to keep it in here? This would, that would drive me insane if I was <laughs> all here. Like, oh, my God, I have to get it out, get it out. And I'm exactly the same. Yeah. And so when I coach people, the first assignment the first thing I usually recommend is some type of writing assignment because usually by the time people come to me, when they come, you know, to, when they're searching for a coach or they're searching for a mentor or they're searching for help, they have a lot of stuff up here. Right. And I, I could just tell you from, I don't know how many calls I've had now, but they usually start out all very similar where people are, they call me in a panic and I just listen and they are like, you know, because they're at that point now where it's all here. It's all in their head. Yeah. And it's all frustrating and I can hear it, you know? And so they, they go in and I stop. And they say, listen, the first thing we have to do is write all this down. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it must be frustrating for them like, to hear it as well. Right away, the resistance, you know, right away. The, what? That's, that's what you're going to say? Yeah. <laughs> and you got to, and, and then I say, are you willing? Are you willing to take the suggestions? Because you, you got to me for a reason like you're we're having this conversation for a reason are you willing to take suggestions are you willing to do what i ask you to do because if you're not then i don't want to waste your time i may not be the right coach but i can just immediately tell you that from this conversation you're rambling 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 rambling. you've got a whole story going on and i don't even need to know the story and that's what's crazy about how coaching becomes very clear because I don't even know, need to know the details or the story to help you. How amazing is that? <laughs> like, I don't need to know because I can already hear that this is just a complete story. I had somebody call me yesterday in a complete panic. And that's probably why it's fresh in my mind. But she she called me and she's like, "I know you're a life coach and 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 and, 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 and she's like going on and on and on and on and and I'm just really calm and I'm listening and you know and I smile while people are you know they probably can feel that through the through, <laughs> but oh, I just God. like I literally immediately I put my hand on my heart I'm like uh huh uh huh. <laughs> and because that's 
that's what usually happens by the time people realize that they need help or they need somebody to sort, help them. It's kind of, this is how I explain coaching to people is it's kind of like if you're looking at a cluttered closet or really like the worst cluttered, messy closet that you can imagine. And you're like, I don't even want to attempt to clean this closet out. So you bring in an organizer and we take an organizer, we take everything out, sort it, usually say we're getting rid of this, we're deleting that, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how coaching is. I take all that stuff, <laughs> that frantic stuff, and I help sort it out, you know? So it's, it's very interesting. It's very fulfilling. It's because I used to be that person, you know, waiting till the last minute in a total panic and total frantic panic, calling people help, you know, and, and when you get to that point, you know, it's not fun. It's, it's not fun. And I've been there. I know, you know, it's like, searching for for solutions when you can't see them clearly it's better to search for solutions when you can see them clearly that's why i said i start my day each day a certain way for a reason because i want to be able to see solutions clearly and not get to the point of overwhelm and the only way to do that is to be consistent in a routine and have balance it's almost like the problems will instantly get smaller if they're organized as well. Like the amount of times a lot of people have problems, don't they, where it's just a case of they're trying to think everything through and organize everything in their head, and your head can't work that way. It just takes everything in. <laughs> so you can't. And then, you, like I said, I got that call yesterday, and I just, you know, I chuckled because I thought, oh, gosh. I said, the good news is there's a solution. The bad news is you're going to have to do some work, you know, because there's, I don't know about you, but I've never found an easy way out. There's no fire escape. There's no quick pill you can take. There's no, you know what I mean? You don't just wake up and go, okay, I'm fixed. It's all good. You know, I, you got to do the work. Yeah. With anything in life. With anything in life, you got to do work, you know. Yeah. And yeah. So usually, people are not willing to do those difficult items to stretch and grow. And I, I, that's where the growth takes place. <laughs> there's no, there's no way around it. So I, I enjoy it. I think it's. It's profound work sometimes, you know. Be interesting how simple it gets when you say to someone, start writing things down and they look as if it's an underwhelming thing where it's like yeah. this problem's huge and you're just asking me to write things down. And then yeah. I, I would probably respond by something like, well, try it, finish everything, write everything down and then come back to me and see, I, see how you're feeling then. And very often they'll probably come back and be like, oh, I feel like I finally got my life together. And all they've done is, is write everything down instead of trying to <laughs> well, think everything first, through in their head. That's, that's the first step. 
obviously there's a lot more things to do. There's a lot more to unpack. At some point I will, you know, help unpack this clutter, but <laughs> first thing we got to do is get as much of it out of your head. Yeah. You know? Cause yeah. it's amazing to, you know, the snowball effect of stories, you know, and I always say, is that true? Is that true? And when I say that, they go, what? I'm like, well, is it true? How do you know? You know, how do you know? What, what, what sort of facts do you have on this? You know, because I, I like to get really curious and really find out where they're getting all this information from because feelings are not facts. Emotions are not facts. But we like to use that as like, I, or, you know, we like to put post-its on people and label people. And it's because they're a narcissist or they're crazy or they're, and I'm like, okay, let's take them out. Let's focus on you, you know? And so, you know, we can create all sorts of crazy stories that don't serve us. That story isn't serving me. So why am I even replaying it? Why not delete it? and create a new story around the same topic. That's where the, the work gets kind of fun because I, it happens, listen, our, we have this, this machine up here that likes to create drama if we allow it. But if it can create drama, why can't it reverse it? Yeah, it, it's almost like if a story is a story whether it's believable or not, it would probably help if it was serving you and if it was helpful. Like the difference between something that serves you and something that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you'll believe it or not. It's almost like the belief becomes ahead of whether it's helpful or whether it's true or not. As long as I believe it, then that's enough. Yeah, and so I say, don't go in there alone. <laughs> that's not safe don't go in there alone with all those thoughts like that's like going into uncharted territories with no help no support and then by the time those people get to me oh my god and i'm like yeah well why'd you go in there alone why'd you go in there <laughs> with no in truth there alone? yeah <laughs> don't go in don't get you know that's like no you know False evidence appearing real. Like we don't, you know, let's, let's dissect this. It's okay. So yeah, I enjoy that. It becomes really, really kind of a, a fun, curious, fascinating journey because it's really, I've been through that. I've been on my knees. I like, it feels so real. It feels so real, but yet it's just a story that I have that I keep replaying in my head that's really not serving me. And at some point, you know, it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Playing the tape over and over and over again. I it's crazy how many people expect a different result as well. Like the right. amount of the amount of people that would keep trying something because it's easy, let's say. It's easy to do it consistently, so they keep doing it because yeah. they've always done it. 
and then they'll sit and they'll hope for a better result. So it's not necessarily a physical thing. It all stays in the head where I'm hoping for a better result. So if I keep doing it, maybe, just maybe, it'll work out differently where it never gets physical. It just stays between the ears. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that's really what I do. I am... I created Deb's Den, which is a safe, private place to heal. And I have some very interesting clients that are very successful, most of them. And they want to heal privately. They, they, they've they been suffering quietly for many years. And then by the time they get to me, they're like, okay, how did you do it? Because they know me. And they know that I went through a complete transformation. And so they'll, you know, and so that was one of the calls I got yesterday. And what was interesting was she kept saying seven years, seven years, this, this cycle that she's been in, it's been going on for seven years. Can you imagine? And I, and I said, well, seven years, why would you let it go six months, let alone seven years, you know? But that's what happens to us as human beings. We get into these it's like we get in the wash cycle and we never hit the pause button and change the cycle. It's like we can <laughs> we can change the cycle, but nope, we'll just keep going for another year. Then two years go by, three years. <clears throat> and I feel for her because I was like, I, I know, I get it. I went through all of that. So yeah, I so I created Deb's Den. I thought there should be a safe place for people to feel safe to come and heal. And so I created this website. I write a weekly blog on everything that we're talking about. I write a weekly blog and I have a newsletter. And I would say that my main, my biggest passion and my main goal is to create now a club. I call it a club, but you know, where, because now everything is like this, everything is virtual and we don't have to travel to go to seminars anymore. We can just be like this and get the most amazing. I was on a coaching session last night, a group coaching session for two hours. The coach was in Florida and all of us were from around the world. And, you know, cause I continually coach myself because I think that's what makes a great coach is that I'm constantly being coached and expanding and learning. And um, it's so beautiful now that we can connect globally. You know, we don't have to travel to go meet coaches anymore. So anyway, so I'm creating a, a club, so to speak, that people can join. And then twice a month, I'll pop on a Zoom and with with the people that are following me and say who wants to be coached and then I can do it just like this. And how brilliant is that? And, it is we, great. Go through, and we go through some really, I've done a couple of tests, you know, like runs to see how, and it's a pretty amazing and powerful, you know, group coaching for me is, is very fulfilling because there's everybody in the room, including myself has either been there or understands what that person's going through. So it's a more authentic, loving way of coaching. And, and it's powerful, you know, when you're, because then other people can see 
how quickly someone can heal from something, the power of connection and the power of a group. And so, yeah, I really love that. And then I'm, I also offer one-on-one -on -one where people can work with me directly. And then I just recently got into the whole clubhouse space, which I really love. And I had no idea how profound it is. I, I spoke this morning in a gratitude clubhouse that was just, you know, from people from all around the world. So yeah, that's really fun. So I created a kind of recovery club for me um, that people can come. And I think what I'm going to do is once it gets to about 100 members, I might just bring in guest speakers and do like an, an hour or two a week of recovery, cool. you know, and that's free. So, yeah, so there's a lot of different things. There might be a few people that don't really know what your story is, Deborah, because obviously there's a lot of crossover, but then there will be a few listening that really don't know what you've had to overcome. So you're able to paint a bit of a picture for us and the listeners but also i'd be really curious after that as to how someone that has overcome a lot like yourself like a lot of the people that you're working with as well where do you go for challenges where does someone that's confident that's pushing themselves all the time where do you go for challenges yeah that's a great question and I would say, well, so my journey and the reason I, I'm where I am today, how I got here is I found myself, you know, I had a lot of success in my 20s and, you know, all of what, what, what you would think would make you feel like, ah, oh, I made it, you know, being on the cover of magazines, being in commercials, I would be on TV, doing pilots, soap operas, movies. And I had all that success. And then I got married. I had children. And at 40 years old, I found myself divorced, broke, three young children, trying to figure out how to be a mature adult and working two jobs and literally living in the most low space spiraling, you know, all those low, um, I call it the gunk, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the, the anxious feelings of panic, anger, the rage, the resentment, you know, it's like all that gunk, you know, and when you sit in that too long, it just, it just gets wrapped around you so tight. And and so I sat there too long and I couldn't get out. Or at least I felt like I couldn't get out at the time. And so I, you know, and then my addiction just spiraled out of control and progressed. You know, I've always had, I've always been borderline. Like I could have gone into a really deep addiction. I've always, I've always been an alcoholic and I suffered with that for decades and then to when you know I was functioning you know but then when all this started happening that progressed so now I'm sitting in low spiraling 
and my disease is progressing. And now I'm like, it's, it's just a big disaster, <laughs> you know? And it's like, how did you get, how did I get here? How did I get here? Into, from being on the cover of a magazine, from being in, you know, in, in what, what people on the outside would think is very successful. And, and also on the outside, I think people thought my marriage looked really successful. And, it, and I was dying on the inside. So it was like a slow death. And that is scary. That's a, that's a scary place to be when you have no tools. And you have nobody around you that can see that there's a problem and can help pull you out of it because the people that I was surrounded with, it's karmically universal, is usually the case when we're in that space that those are the people that we're actually hanging around with as well. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, so I went through that very dark time and then got a little bit of relief got success again, got the top 1% of the life insurance industry. I was the number one salesperson in the United States two years in a row, was in the million dollar round table club. Like I was on this like fast pace. I was on a roll. And then around 2015, 16, I started to crash again because I never fixed the original problem. I just found another way to cover it up with more success. And so finally in about 2018 and 19, I started to go, okay, sometimes it hits you when it hits you. I, you know, for me, I, I, I if I had one regret, I guess it would be that I wish I would have really gotten this at a much younger age, but I got it when I got it. And it hit me that unless I fix this, this thing that keeps reappearing in my life, unless I fix this, this stuff that's just turmoil and chaos, unless I fix that, it's just going to keep showing up. And so I spent a lot of time and a lot of coaching, a lot of healing, a lot of growing, a lot of uncomfortable feelings. And I got to work. I did not think that I would then coach other people, but through doing this deep dive work, I would, you know, I was in this workshop where you partner up with other people. And because I went through all these different trainings, through that, through partnering up with other people, people would say, oh my God, you know, you really helped me. And I thought, wow, maybe I am meant to, to coach, you know? Yeah. Maybe, that is, maybe that is my calling, who knew? But then when I really looked at my life, I've been coaching my whole life. When I'm in my good space, when I'm in good ego, when I'm in good space, I've been coaching my whole life. 
And I just didn't realize that that's what I was doing. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm in, I am today. And it's beautiful. I love it. It's like, I'm so passionate about it. And it's, it's the most authentic, I think I've ever been in my life is just because it's, there's nothing you can't, you can't hide. You can't. And by the way, if I don't have the answers to something, that's what I, now I just say, I don't have the answers. We'll have to look that up together or we'll have to figure that out together. There's, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell anything or it's very authentic work. And I, I believe that the more authentic I get and the more I go deep, the more value I add to other people. So if you wanted to go after a new challenge for you, I'm guessing you've got lessons, you grow, you change, you transform after every challenge, after every adversity that you ever overcome. But I'm assuming that you have to go looking for certain things to keep the growth happening, almost like a, a grow or you regress kind of thing. How do you approach challenges now? Methodically, carefully, slowly. I write it down. I write the challenge down. We go right back to writing things down. I write the challenge down. I pray. I meditate. I sit with it. I'm really into being in a space of quiet. <laughs> so when challenges appear and I had a challenge the other day, so I'll, I'll use it because it just happened. I had a challenge the other day that was really uncomfortable. And my first, the, my first inclination, and this is just ingrained into my subconscious somehow. And I don't know why that is. And I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But my first inclination was to just give up. I'm done. Forget about it. Move on. That was my first inclination. And I thought, yeah, no, we, we know that doesn't work. So let's now take it a step further. So I wrote it all out and then I put it away and I walk away and I do something else. Maybe I go read for 30 minutes. Maybe I just sit and see, I think what happens is if I were to just go like this with it, it just gets worse. So the minute I have a challenge or a problem, I write it out. Here's the problem. And now what I do is I do the 24 hour thing. I just sleep on it. So this problem that I had a few days ago that I'm talking about, I sat on it, slept on it. And then the biggest thing I do now is I look at my part in it. Well, how did this even become a problem? How did, how did, how did I create this problem? You see these problems that we have in life, they don't just come out of nowhere. So how did I create it? Oh, that's what I do. Oh, yeah. There you have it. I wasn't clear 
on my expectations. I wasn't clear on how I saw this going. What well, I wasn't clear on my vision. So, and it was a, it was a, it was a process that I went through because I was having an issue with some project that I was working on and the team that I had chosen. And so once I looked at my part in it, oh, okay. But because I wrote it down, I wrote the problem down, I wrote the challenge down, and then I go, okay, there's the problem, it's on the paper. How did I create that? Why is that problem there? <laughs> now? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. See, most, most of the time, you know, when, when I'm coaching somebody, they'll, they'll always want to tell me that it's an outside issue that caused the problem. And I go, well, let's really look at that. Are we sure? Because how did that outside problem even get to the, get here? Why was it allowed to create the problem? And so that's, I think when, when you, when, and that takes practice, by the way, because I can tell you, even for me, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so frustrated. That was my first response, right? Because I'm a student also. So, oh, my God, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. You know, and then, you know, when we start saying those things, what is the, what is the, the first thing happen? The brain goes, yep, you're right. You don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, you're right you just said it you don't know what to do and I'm like wait a second I do know what to do <laughs> gotta write this down so you know we can go right into oh my god why did I do this again I don't know what to do this is frustrating and then once we go down that path that's where we're going to sit for a while and so I don't sit there anymore I don't sit there for long now I recognize it very quickly, write it down, and then I pull in the troops. I run it by people that I trust. You know, I call people and I go, this is what I'm dealing with. What do you think? What do you think? Am I looking at this right? Do I have the right glasses on? Which pair of glasses should I put on here? You know? So I think it's really important that we have those five, five to 10 people in our life that can look at things for us and shed some light on what we're probably not seeing clearly. And, and then don't do anything when you're in, when you're in the mode of, when I'm in the mode of, I don't know what to do. This is frustrating. Oh my God, I'm just gonna quit, I'm done forget it. It's over. When I get in that mode, I do nothing. I put my devices away and I do nothing because I'm going to regret whatever it is I do when I'm in that mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. Where, that's where people blow their lives up, by the way. <laughs> they blow up relationships. They blow up jobs. They, blow, they sabotage everything when they're in that mode. And I have learned the hard way that now I have to take a really big deep breath because I don't want to, I don't want to go to bed at night going, oh my God, I wish I didn't make that call. 
oh my God, I wish I didn't send that email. Because we know immediately, we feel it in our body. It's like, oh, why did I send that text? Ah, you know, and I don't want to feel that way anymore. So I really work really hard not to do that. So that when I do go to bed at night, like I said, I can go through my list and go, yep, I didn't do, I didn't hurt anybody today. I didn't send an awful text. I didn't yell at my team. I didn't go off the rails. I, I may have felt frustration here and there, but I didn't, it was no big deal. There are no big deals. Death is a big deal. Cancer is a big deal. Other than that, there are no big deals. Do you ever find that, let's say, someone goes through that process and they realize that they have, in fact, played a part? They've caused something, they've dropped the pebble that caused the ripple effect that caused the problem that they're noticing now. I'd be curious as to whether if they were to change their part in it, so you draw a line under the past because you can't change it, what do you do today to improve the situation, let's say? You run through that thought process and they go, oh, I'll do this. This is the thing that I will do. Does that help if there are a lot of moving pieces? If you paint a bit of a picture of, okay, this can actually help or this can't because there's too many moving pieces. Is there a limit to the individual change in the entire result if there's a lot of moving pieces? How do you help someone in that situation? Well, you know, this is a really good question because there are a lot of moving pieces. Usually by the time someone gets to me, there are going to be a lot of, <laughs> listen, I listened to an hour of moving pieces yesterday on the phone and I was like, wow, you know, okay. You know, and it just takes me right back because I was there. I, so, you know, and by the way, people say to me, well, what's the difference between a coach and a therapist? Well, what's the difference? Why? And a lot of people believe that coaching is like, I don't know if I believe in coaching. I've always had a coach. So I obviously believe in coaching. Yeah. I think it's very important to have a coach, a mentor. And if you need a therapist, absolutely. But the difference with coaching is coaching is like a guide. And you, a good coach has been through what it is you're trying to fix. So for example, I'm not going to coach somebody on something I've not been through. And I will honestly say, you know what, this is probably not something I'm going to, but I know somebody that could coach you through this. So I'm really careful who I coach because if they come to me because they have an addiction problem or a relationship problem, or they're going through a divorce, or they completely blew up their life, I'm their coach. I've been through all that. But there's other things that people are going to come to me if they want to start a business and it's a business that I know nothing about or, you know, there's, there's certain things that come up, but for the most part, usually it is something that I can help. I usually get women. So here's my, I, I get me five years ago, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> You know, that's, that's who I attract. I get women that were me five years ago. And I attract that now because 
I think they see the transformation. So those are the women that call me and go, what did you do? And I say, well, I can take you through exactly what I did. I, and I'm one of those coaches where I need a three-month commitment. So if you're not willing to give me a three-month commitment, we're not, I, I, I don't want to coach you. Because to, to change, to make any change in life, it's, you can't do it without three months. It's, it's, that's a habit-breaking time amount, right? You have to have three months to have some type of, there are no guarantees, but to have some type of shift, I need a three-month commitment because there's a lot to shift and a lot to move. And any habit, if you could Google it, any habit, it usually takes about 90 to 120 days to really change a habit in our body that we're so used to doing, our go-tos. So for me now, like I said, three days ago, I was like, I'm done, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to like going in that mode because that is what my body and my, that is my go-to or it used to be my go-to and that comes up. So when it comes up now, I go, Oh God, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Oh my God. So how now do it, you kind of picture that then? Is it like where, a, is it like where the old life keeps trying to assert itself? That's why it takes so long. I don't know if it takes so long. I, I don't think three months is a long time to shift a lifetime behavior. So I want to make sure we reframe that. I think that a 90 day period, if you think about taking a lifelong habit and the way that our old ideas and the way that we used to handle something and it's, we've got, we've gotten to a certain point where it's still not working. And I say, give me 90 days to shift that. I don't think that's a long time. You know, I'm not going to come in and put my hand on your head and go, okay, you're not going to do that anymore. And it's like, boom, it's fixed. No, it's, it, there's work that needs to be done. And unless people are willing to put in the time. And for me, that's a 90 day period. I don't think 90 days is a long time. 90 days goes like that. I imagine it does when, let's say you're going through something quite, traumatic or intense it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to take a week it's not going to take a month because it's it's a big thing it's a big task it's a big if you want to get taken if you want to get in shape physically and you go to the gym what trainer is going to say oh yeah we'll get this in one day i got you you're going to be in the best shape of your life one day come on in Put you on this machine and boom, it's fixed. Your body's going to be in shape. No, any good trainer is going to say, if you do this, this, and this, if you show up every day and get on the treadmill for 30 minutes, if you change your meal plan, if you do this, this, and this, I would say in about 60 to 90 days, you're going to start to see results. You're going to start to see results. You're not going to have results. You're going to start to see a change in your body. Well, that's the same thing with coaching. If 
if you do these certain things every week with me and you write and you do and you read and we and we talk and we shift the goals, then in about 90 days, you're going to start to see this big energy shift in, in the way you look at things. I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Does it ever get to a point where someone would come to you and thinks that it is a long time and you've had to say, look, it's not. You've been doing this for decades. Three months is nothing in the grand scheme of things. I think that by the time people get to me, they're in so much pain that they're willing to do anything to get out of that pain. One of those things that really stuck out to me was actually your nonprofit work. A lot of the things that you do with your time, with your resources. I even read that you've helped fund and build schools as well, which was very fascinating to me. So share a bit about what you do outside of the business side. We spent a lot of time talking about coaching and it's been been fascinating. But I think seeing another side of Deborah would probably uh, be fascinating as well. Yeah, no, I, you know, the, the most rewarding part of having financial success is being able to give back and con contribute and, and know that you're doing something that is profound. And so I went on this trip, I'm, I'm involved in, um, one of the things that you mentioned is a school in Peru that I adopted. And I went on that trip to see the different schools where my money was going, where my donations were going. So I wanted to go and see it firsthand. And so we turned it into a hiking, you know, we did Machu Picchu and we did a lot of yoga. And while we were there, we visited all these schools and I got to see them firsthand. And one of the schools that we went to it had nothing. I mean, it was, it, I mean, nothing, not even a, a real playground. And I said to the, my friend, Scott Pfeiffer, who runs the Go campaign, I said, what if I adopted the school? He goes, you can absolutely do that. And so I did, I adopted the school. And so every month I would send money. So they would have money for supplies and, you know, cause this, you know, we're talking up in the, the I, I don't know, just completely blanked on the, the valley, but it's the valley <laughs> in Peru yeah. near Machu Picchu and Sacred Valley, way in deep into the Sacred Valley, and there's nothing there. And these kids walk miles to go to school. And it was just, it was just like, you know, when you're there and you see it. What we yeah. don't see, we mm -hmm. don't know, but I went and looked at it firsthand. And so, yeah, that was one of the most beautiful trips that I've ever taken in my life. And then the other thing that I got very involved with is Virgin Unite and Richard Branson's group. And that's, that's something that you have to be invited to go on because he really only likes to have 15 to 20 people on those trips because he's, and he's very much a part of it. So it's not, I've been on trips like that where the main, the, the person that draws people in shows up for five or 10 minutes or gives you just this much time where Richard is actually with you the whole time. So I went to Africa 
to look at all the philanthropic endeavors that he's involved with and donated a lot of money to money and time because I went. And um, again, just amazing people that I met, leaders that I met on that trip that blew my mind. And again, it's, it's what we don't know or see, we don't know or see. But when you go on these trips and you are there and you're looking at it firsthand, that changes everything. That changed my perspective on a lot of things. And um, what else? Uh, horses, horses in our hands is was started by Siri Lindley and Rebecca Keat. And, and that was something else that I knew nothing about. And when I was explained what it was about, I became passionate because I absolutely love horses. All three of my kids grew up riding horses. I grew up riding horses and being my grandfather used to raise race horses. And so I couldn't believe that horses were sent to slaughter. I didn't, I had no idea that was happening. Wow. And when I found that out, I was very passionate about helping create that bill where, where you, it's no longer allowed. And I believe as of last year, they finally passed the bill where it's not allowed anymore. So, and I had no idea that was going on. So I think what happens is, is when you start to get into these philanthropic endeavors and you start to learn about what's really going on. And I met with a lot of these people face to face. And like I said, I've been to the school in Peru. I've been to these places in South Africa. And it changes your perspective. You realize that there's a lot of suffering that's going on in the world. And when I'm in my little bubble in Los Angeles, I don't know what's going on outside of my bubble. But when I go outside of my bubble and I put myself in those situations, it's profound. It's very profound stuff that's happening in this world. And it that brings me a lot of fulfillment, you know, that fills me up because I, I feel useful. You know, I feel yeah, like that, that's, I feel that's useful. That's how I describe I, it as well. Useful yeah. is how I describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel useful and I feel like I'm being of service. And, and at that point we're just, when I'm speaking to Richard Branson about something that he's passionate about and that I'm there to be of service for, he just becomes another person that's being of service. And all of a sudden I'm not like, Oh my God, I'm on a trip with Richard Branson. You know, it becomes more like we're just two human beings trying to make something better. And, and then I went on another uh, leadership trip on Necker Island, you know, where he lives and he brought in Martin Luther King Jr. and Van Jones, the ex-president of Colombia, the prime minister of Bhutan, you know, and I'm sitting in a room with, with these phenomenal leaders and I'm hearing their stories and I'm experiencing them in person 
I'm experiencing them and how they've contributed to history. It's pretty profound. It is. And it's making me think, actually, of what the future is like for you. So what's on the horizon and how can people enter your world, Deborah? So you could share websites, social media, whatever it is that you would like people to check out. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the best way to get a hold of me is to go to my website, which is my name, DebraDriggs.com, and join subscribe to my newsletter in the next few weeks i'm going to have a club that you can join where i will coach you live twice a month and it's easy it's via zoom you don't have to pay for airfare and you don't have to go anywhere we can do this via zoom and i can share all these experiences because that's where growth is through stories and experiences so yeah, I would say go to my website, join my club, join my newsletter so you can stay in touch with me. And I am one of those people that if you email me, I respond. You, I, I am authentically available. I'm not just hiding behind emails. I'm not that person. You're not going to get a thousand emails from me. You know, I send out maybe one or two newsletters a week. And they're not, you know, I, I don't like it when other people do that. When I get like 10, 20 emails about joining and being and coming and doing, it's like, it's too overwhelming. I don't want to do that to people because yeah. most of the people that come to me want to come to me for recovery. And so I'm really careful about that. You know, there's different people for different people. If, 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 if I was selling a real estate program, obviously I'd be sending out hundreds of emails, I guess, a day to get you to come to my real estate seminar, but I'm not doing that. I'm more about recovery and healing and inspiring. So yeah, my website is the best place. If you go to my website, all my social media is linked. And then by the way, I have a digital business card that you can actually add to your contacts that has all my information. So it's right there on your phone if you wanted to share it with somebody else. So yeah, DebraDriggs.com. I also have a book coming out October 25th. I don't know when the show is gonna air, but I may, this book may already be out by the time the show airs, but it's called Son of a Basque and it's a story based on my grandfather's life. And I'm super excited about that. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Deborah, thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. It's been great. Really enjoyed having you on. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from all of you out there. Just go to my website and send, shoot me a note. I'd love to hear from you.